Good morning again, everyone. How are we doing? Good to see you all. Glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, We are today concluding our series, Christian. And over the last four weeks, we've been talking about the fact that um, the term Christian was made up by non-Jesus followers to describe the disciples of Jesus, right? Like we've been talking about that. And uh, we've been, uh, we, we actually talked about how this is a term that they, they did not use to describe themselves. They actually used something completely different. Jesus had a whole other label, had a, had a whole other brand that he used to describe his followers. You guys remember what it is? Disciples, yes. And that's actually how they uh, describe themselves as well. And we also talked about how the word disciple is really um, narrow, that the definition of the word disciple is really clearly defined. When you look at scripture, it's very apparent what it means to be a disciple. And so uh, that's kind of what we've been talking about. Um, We've also been talking about the fact that um, as like when you, when you have the term Christian, uh, you can kind of believe whatever you want. You can kind of behave any way you want because Christian's not defined in the Bible, right? And that's why you find so, like, you find Christians on both sides of, of every issue, right? Uh, political, financial, uh, civil, social, even war. In war, you'll have two Christian nations going to war in the name of Jesus because the word Christian is not really defined. The term Christian is not really defined. Um, but, but Jesus, right, like, like he defined his followers another way. He branded his followers another way. And when you open the scriptures, you ask the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? It's terrifyingly clear. It's terrifyingly clear what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and in fact, Jesus says, if you don't understand anything else about following me, if you don't get anything else, you don't understand anything else, I want you to describe yourself this one way. I want you to uh, categorize yourselves this one way by this one thing. The world will know you're my followers if you love one another, right? Love one another. It's not by your cross necklace. That's not, that's not going to tell the world that you love everyone or that, that, that you're his follower. It's not by the big old Bible you carry, right? That's not going to tell every, everyone that you follow him. It's not by your Christian themed clothing, right? That's not going to tell the world that you follow him. It's not by the political party you're affiliated with. That's not going to tell the world that you're his follower. It's by this one thing, love one another, and then Jesus clarifies it even further. He says, I want you to love one another, but, but not just love one another. I want you to love one another the way I love you. Not the way the world loves. Not the way your dad loves your mom. Not that way. Not, not the way um, your coworkers love their colleagues. Don't, don't love each other like that. I want you to love one another the way I love you. And that's terrifyingly clear right? It's terrifyingly clear. And that's the problem. See, like some of us think we know a thing or two about love. And we, we may, we may, that's, that's fair, we may. But when you open up the scriptures and, and you look at the way Jesus loved, it's scary to think about loving that way. It's scary to think about loving the way Jesus loved. When you look at the way Jesus loved, there's a tension there. There's a tension there, and, and it's a tension that we all want to resolve. Uh, and and it, it's a tension that, if we're honest, we don't really know how to navigate it. And, and so, like, we kind of we stay away from it because it's just, it's, 
it, it, uh, tense, right? And, and we can end up going like one end of the spectrum or the other. Churches are largely the same way. Churches largely don't know how to navigate the tension around the love of Jesus. There's tension around the way Jesus loves and churches don't know how to navigate it. So churches will go to one spectrum, one side of the spectrum or the other. And, and, and when we do that, we miss something. Because of this, because churches do this, there, there are churches out there that are preaching an incomplete gospel. There are churches out there preaching an incomplete gospel because they, they, they don't know how to navigate the tension around the love of Jesus. Now, don't hear me say, I've got it all together. I'm amazing. I know how to do this. Everyone should look to me. Like, I'll lead the way. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, I'm acknowledging the tension and I'm leaning into it. I'm acknowledging attention, that there's a tension around the way Jesus loves, and I'm leaning into it. I'm not running away from it. Because leaning into that tension is going to make us look, look more like Jesus more than taking a side will. So maybe, maybe you grew up in one of these churches that preached an incomplete gospel where, where um, they preached one side of Jesus' love and not the other. Um, and and not, not that what they taught was wrong, but it just maybe felt like something was missing. And, and maybe it felt like something was missing because perhaps maybe there was something missing. Maybe there was something was missing. But because when you open up the scriptures, you ask, how did Jesus love? Here's what you discover. The way Jesus loved was messy. It was inconsistent. It was unfair. And it was confusing. The way Jesus loved was messy, inconsistent, unfair, and confusing because there's tension. There's tension, and our, our tendency is to, to try to resolve that tension. Our tendency is to try to make sure that everything's good and there's no tension and everybody feels okay, but there's a tension around it. Hear me today. Hear me today. If you try to resolve that tension, if you try to get rid of that tension around, around the way Jesus loved, you lose. I lose. We, we lose something really important. We miss out on something really important when we try to resolve attention around the way Jesus love. Whenever you open up the scriptures and take seriously the teachings within it, there's always going to be tension. Say that again. Whenever you open up the scriptures and take seriously the teachings within it, there's always going to be tension. At times, God seems to be gracious and compassionate. At other times, he seems to be uh, holding everyone accountable. At times, Jesus, Jesus seems to be harsh, and at other times, he seems to be kind. At times, he seems to point out every single sin, and other times, he seems to ignore sin altogether. Inconsistent, messy, confusing, unfair. We're all tempted to want to resolve that tension, but if we resolve it, we give up something important. We give up something important if we resolve it. This is what drove people crazy about Jesus. But Jesus didn't back away from the tension. He didn't shy away from the tension. He embraced it. He leaned into it. He ministered through it. And we dare not walk away from it if, uh, even though it's, it's messy, it's inconsistent, it's unfair, it's, it's confusing. We dare not walk away from that. Now, the Apostle John uh, 
became an old man, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Most of the apostles were, were martyred. They were killed for their faith, but the, apostles, the apostle John, for, for one reason or another, God allowed him to, to grow old and become an old man. And in all of his wisdom, all of his experience, he, he wrote down some things because it, it became apparent to him in his old age, Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to return yet. So he, um, he wrote down all his wisdom. He wrote down all his experiences. And um, that's, where, that's why we have the gospel of John. First, second, and third John in the New Testament. These are all letters from the Apostle John. Uh, he wrote down all his experiences, all his wisdom to, to help us as disciples understand. And in all of his memories and all of his experiences, John could have said anything to describe Jesus. He could have said anything. But he uses one term in the gospel to describe Jesus, and it's the word. He describes Jesus as the word, right? God's word, God's living word, God's word incarnate. And he says, God sent his word, Jesus, into the world to live with us, to eat with us, to cry with us. It's beautiful, right? And then, and then John kind of paints a picture. John kind of creates a picture that Jesus is like a painter. Jesus is like a painter who painted a masterpiece. And then he entered his masterpiece to interact with it only the people inside the masterpiece didn't recognize him as the painter, and they booted him. They, they threw him out. Powerful, right? It's powerful to think about that. And John kind of um, described the conflict that he sensed among the people that Jesus came to love. Then, like, uh, later in, in the opening section of the Gospel of John, he gives us two words that best describe this tension. Best, uh, two, two words that capture this tension that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to bump into this at some point. You're going you're gonna to come up against this at some point. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, these two words make loving people messy, makes loving people inconsistent, it makes loving people unfair, it makes loving people confusing. These two words. If you go to one extreme or the other, you miss something really important. I miss something really important if I go to one, one extreme or the other. Are you ready for these two words? John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, remember that's Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and and truth, full to the brim of grace and truth. And there's the tension. There's the tension, full of grace and truth. Now, you know what grace is, right? The unmerited favor of God, right? You know what truth is? Full to the brim of both. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're forgiven. Grace says you're fine truth says, no, you're broken, right? Grace says, it's going to be okay. Truth says, you're definitely going to have to work on it. Grace says, no matter what you do, I love you. Truth says, yeah, but you can't escape the consequences of your decision. There's the tension. Jesus came full of grace and truth, full to the brim all of us, through our personalities, we kind of lean one way or the other, right? We, we, we kind of err on one side of the other. We're either uh, err more towards grace or we either err more towards truth. But the word says that Jesus came full of both. Some of us were brought up with parents uh, where, where one of them was grace 
And the other one was uh, Mr. Ungrace, wasn't he? And, and he was all about truth. And your parents argued behind closed doors because, um, because they, they saw how to raise you differently. And let me guess which one you liked better. You probably liked Mrs. Grace better, right? Oh, I love you. You're fine just the way you are. You're, you're my little baby, right? But like if you grew up in a great house, you got a great dose of both grace and truth. And here's what John said. Basically, I'm going to sum it up in my own words. He said, he said, I've spent years watching Jesus. I've spent years seeing Jesus navigate some extremely difficult circumstances. And here's what I saw. He was absolutely full of both. Jesus was absolutely full of grace and truth. But, but Pastor Ryan, I don't, I don't, I want it to be one way or the other. I don't want it to have to navigate the tension. I, I want it to be either one or the other. I re, you know, Pastor Ryan, I really like the verses about truth when it, dealing with somebody else. But when it comes to me, like, I really like the ones about grace. You know, that's, that's kind of how we approach it, right? Like, but Jesus was full to the brim of both grace and truth. And John is saying, like, I watched him. I lived with him for three years, and he was the embodiment of both. He was the embodiment of both, not half and half. Jesus wasn't half grace and half truth. He was 100% grace while at the same time being 100% truth, the full embodiment of both. Then John went on to say this a couple of verses later, uh, verse 16. It says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Basically, he's saying there's grace enough for everyone. There's grace enough for every soul on this planet. And then he further clarifies his point. He says this in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, right? Um, the, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This law, it was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice he changes his wording a little bit. He says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, that might not seem that big a deal to you, but in the original language, that word came is a, a synonym for being born. Grace and truth were born through the person of Jesus Christ. It, it, was, it, it, was, um, it showed up as a full package when Jesus was born. Grace and truth. Again, not the balance, not 50-50, not, not half and half. He's the full measure of both all the time. He was all of it, all the time, the embodiment of it. This is what made Jesus so messy. This is what made him so confusing. This is what made him so unpredictable. And, and everybody wants to lean one way or the other. And John says, no, no, he was both all the time. He was all of it. With every person he talked to, with every situation he came across, he was grace and truth. And if you begin to read the gospels through this lens, you'll see it. You'll see it. Think about the story of the, the woman at the well. Jesus comes to this town. He sits down at a well, and this woman comes out to the well, and he starts this conversation with her. And, um, and he asks her a question. He says, where's your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know. You've had five, and the man you live with now, he's not your husband. Truth bomb, right? <laughs> like, Jesus reaches into probably the most painful part of her life 
and calls her out, just calls her out. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now, he's not one of them. Truth bomb. But then he does something that we've, we've never seen probably anywhere else. We, we, he's never, he reveals something that he's never revealed to anyone else in the Gospels the way he revealed it to her. He looked at her and he said, guess who I am? Guess who I am? Like, you're a Samaritan woman, and I'm choosing to reveal this to you. Guess who I am? I, you're eyeball to eyeball with the Messiah. And I can give you water that will quench the thirst of your soul that no man ever can. Grace. Truth. And what does she do? She puts her, puts her jar down and runs into town to tell people, I've met the long-awaited Messiah. I've met the Son of God. Think about the criminals on the cross. You may have heard these, these men referred to as the thieves on the cross, but in the world of the Bible, thieves weren't crucified. Uh, crucifixion was saved for the worst of the worst of the worst. Crucifixion was saved for the people like that, that they, they couldn't use or they didn't want to look at anymore, and so they crucified these, these people. And the, there were two criminals that were crucified on either side of Jesus. And one of them says, one of them shouts out and he says, we're getting what we deserve. And you kind of expect Jesus to say, no, don't say that. You got a good heart. You're a good man. Like, I'm sure you meant well. Jesus doesn't say that. We, we kind of get the, the vibe that Jesus is like, yeah, no argument here. You are getting what you deserve. But then Jesus says this to him. He says, but today you're going to be with me. Today we're going to be together. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise, grace, and truth. Hang on, Jesus. Hang on. This guy gets in with a minute left on the clock. But remember that young guy, that, that rich young guy who, who came to you, and he was a, a law-abiding Jew, and he followed all the rules, and he asked you what he had to do to get eternal life. You told him to sell everything and follow you for the rest of his life. He has to follow you for the rest of his life, but this guy gets in with a minute left? That's not fair. That's inconsistent, Jesus. That's messy. That's confusing. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? There's a tension there, see? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you try to resolve that tension, you lose something. I lose something if I try to get rid of that tension, if I try to to figure that out. And then possibly the most famous story of all the gospel stories, right? The, the woman caught in adultery. It's such a strange, such a strange story because these, these Pharisees, these teachers of the, the Jewish law, they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery and they throw her at Jesus' feet and they tell Jesus what's going on, right? Like this woman has, has, we caught her in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus says, bet. Stoner, you can do it. Go ahead. Just don't hit me with the rocks, right? But the person of you, the one of you who's without sin, you can throw the first stone. The one of you who's never looked at a woman lustfully, you get to throw the first stone. Go ahead. And he stands back and he waits. And eventually, eventually, they all walk away without throwing a stone, right? And he looks at this woman and he says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Well, which one is it, Jesus? I don't condemn you or you're a sinner. Which one is it? And Jesus' answer is yes. Yes. Well, well, Jesus, 
Like, how, how can you say you don't condemn her when, when you, you're saying that she's a sinner? Because this is how I love. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The full embodiment of both. And my desire is to try to be my, like, to, to, to do this as best I can. My desire is that we learn to do this as best we can. I'm going to get it wrong. We are going to get this wrong. But, but when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we have to make the decision not to just be a truth church. We have to make the decision not to just be a grace church. We have to, be, we have to make the decision to lean into this tension and, and, and trust that God is going to navigate it. Trust that God's going to help us navigate it. Because it'd be, it'd be really easy to just be the truth church, right? It's black and white in there. It, the, the words say what they say. You either do it or you don't, right? That, that's really easy. But Jesus, Jesus was 100% grace. Oh, well, everyone's welcome. Every, everything can come in. It doesn't matter. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus was 100% truth. The full embodiment of both. We can't swing one way or the other. We have to... We have to do our best to look like him. That's it's messy. It's inconsistent. It's unfair. It's confusing. And, and we will run into this all the time, and no grace and truth situation looks the exact same. They all look different. Um, at my previous church, uh, I had a guy that was a part of my small group, uh, and for the sake of anonymity, just because it's online and all that, uh, we'll call this guy Ben. Uh, and... Uh, ben was a part of my group, and he really wanted to grow in his relationship with Jesus, and I really wanted to help him grow in his relationship with Jesus, and Ben was single, so he had all kinds of time on his hands, so we hung out a lot. He was at my house a lot, and we went to movies, and like we did that kind of thing, and, and Ben and I had this friendship more than just like pastor congregant. Like We were friends, right? We enjoyed the same thing. We loved Husker football, that kind of thing, and so like we were, we were just, he was growing, he was helping me grow. Like, it was, it was cool. Like, it was a cool relationship, cool friendship. And everything with, with Ben was great. Well, one day, I got this message from somebody else in the church. It said, hey, basically, I'm going to sum it up. Basically, it said, hey, Ben is having an affair with my wife. And I, like, I was, like, taken aback. I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't want to believe it. I was like, there's no way. This has got to be a mistake. Well, after, like, digging a little bit and after, like, seeing some uh, messages exchanged, like, that kind of thing, I found out, like, is absolutely true. This guy, Ben, was having an affair with a married woman. Not only was he having an affair with a married woman, he was helping her come up with a plan to leave her husband so she could get married to him. And and it was just, it was a mess. And I remember the first conversation I had with, with Ben about it was, um, um, it was over the phone, because um, that was just the, the only way we were able to do it like at that time. And I remember like having a conversation and being very explicitly clear, like, this is wrong, this is sin, you're breaking up a family, you need to stop this. But at the same time, like, I love you, we're still friends, you're still my boy, you know, like I still want you to be a part of my group, like that kind of, like there's that grace and truth tension there, right? Like how do you, how do you navigate something like that? And this is a true story, I'm not making this up. This really happened, this really happened. It was so weird, guys. 
It was so strange. I've never experienced anything like it, but, but this is, it like really happened. And so I like, um, had this conversation with him. His grace, and there was grace and there was truth, but he didn't want the truth part. He was all about the grace part, right? So anyways, this, the situation evolved to the point where the lead pastor of the church had to get involved. And so uh, the lead pastor's name was Rick. So me, Rick, me and Rick sat down with Ben and this woman, and we had a face-to-face conversation about what was going on. And, and my lead pastor, guys, Rick, he's so amazing. He's, I mean, he navigated it so well. This grace and truth thing, like, he's got it down. Not that he's perfect, but he's really, really good at it. And so just to watch him, like, come at it from, from the truth side, say, saying the same things to these people. Like, this is wrong. This is sin. You're breaking up a family. You're destroying your kids. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, just being really honest. Like, but then at the same time, I love you. Make, making sure they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God still loved them, that he still wanted them to be a part of the church. And, and all, like, all this uh, grace and truth, it was so messy. And at times it seemed really inconsistent and unfair and, and confusing. But that's how Jesus loves, with grace and truth. And there's a tension there, right? There's a tension. And like I said, that tension is difficult to deal with. It's difficult to navigate. And it was so difficult for Ben and this lady to navigate that they actually, like, left the church completely. I don't know, I don't know if, if they walked away from God, but they left our church, and I never heard from them again, basically. This grace and truth thing is, is hard. It's difficult to navigate, but it's the way Jesus loved. In, in John chapter 6, Jesus had this huge following of people, and he's loving with grace and truth, and most of them walk away. And the 12 remain. Like grace and truth, Jesus leaned into that tension. There it is, grace, grace and truth. Truth with all of its painful ramifications. Grace with all of its... Um, all of its opportunities for healing and unity, grace and truth. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant when he said love one another, watch how Jesus loved. If you want to know what Jesus meant when he said love one another, watch how Jesus loved. And do you know how he loved? He called sin, sin, but then he paid for it. And he said, I don't condemn you. And he said, now leave your life of sin. That's how he loved. He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. And he says, I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. That's the way Jesus loved, full of grace and truth, the embodiment of both. And he says, if you don't leave your life of sin, I love you. If you can't leave your life of sin, I love you. If, if somebody hurt you so badly that it sent you into this downward spiral of destructive behavior and you don't know how to get out of it, I love you. If the depth and complexity of your sin is so much that you don't know how you're going to get out from underneath it, you don't know if you ever can, I love you. Grace. And truth. Grace and truth. The truth is, you're a sinner. The truth is, you're a sinner. But the grace is, 
that he doesn't condemn you. The truth is I'm a sinner, but the grace is that he doesn't condemn me. Grace and truth. And he's saying no one will ever love you more, and I'll never be able to love you more than I do right now. Grace and truth. There's a tension there. And if we ever try to resolve it, if we ever try to resolve that tension, if we ever try to get away from that tension, we lose something really, really important. Grace and truth. This is, this is important, so, so listen to me really quickly. Do you know why we need to keep saying what's true? And I'm not talking like us to the outside world. I'm talking to us to each other. Do you know why we need to keep the truth in front of us? It's so important that we keep saying what's true. It's so important that we keep the truth in front of us because sin has a gotcha. Sin has a gotcha. This is really cheesy. Sin has a gotcha, and God doesn't want it to get you. It's cheesy, but I feel like that's going to stick in your mind. Sin has a gotcha. That's why it's so important that we keep saying what's true. That's why God gave us truth, because sin has a gotcha, and he doesn't want it to get you. This is how you have to live. This is how you have to treat people. This is how, you have, like, how your morality has to be. Truth. Sin has a gotcha. But do you know the reason why we can't let go of grace? We can't let go of grace because to some extent, sin has already got us. Sin already got you. Sin already got us. And the only way back to our heavenly father is by grace. The only way to see God is through grace. Grace is the only way to be able to connect to him. So we need grace. We need truth. And Jesus is the embodiment of both. He's the embodiment of grace and truth. And if the church is his body, if we're, if we're his hands and feet, we're going to be the best expression that the world can see of God. And so we have to learn to embrace this. We have to learn to embody this grace and truth. We have, we have to keep saying what's true. We have to keep grace. We have to. We, 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 have to. we can't go one way or the other. And it's messy. It's inconsistent, it's unfair, and it's confusing. We have to be comfortable with that, though. We have to be comfortable with that. If we're going to look like Jesus, right, like if we're going to be disciples, and even, even fun fact, Christ, the word Christian actually is like literally means little Christs. So if we're going to be little Christs, we have to get this right. We have to get this right. If we're going to look like Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, we have to get this right and embrace the tension of grace and truth. And many years after doing this and many years of, of trying to do this well and after many years of offending people and after many years of, of restoring people, this is what, this is what I, I know. The church is at its best when it embraces grace, grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. The church is at its best when it embraces grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. If you want to know what Jesus meant when Jesus said love one another, watch how Jesus loved. There it is, grace and truth. It's messy, it's inconsistent, it's unfair, it's confusing, 
but it's life-giving, and it points to our Heavenly Father. It's difficult, and, and we don't just... We don't just know what, what to do with the tension sometimes, but, but we dare not let go of either. We dare not let go of either. We can't swing to one or the other. We have to live. We have to embrace the tension of both. Let's be a church of, of grace. Let's be a church of, of truth. And let's pray that God will continue to help us manage the tension so that every person from every walk of life will be able to experience the glory of God, will be able to experience the love of God, the mercy of God. Remember, God says, you've sinned. I've paid for it. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. And, and God is saying, if you can't see that I love you, if you can't see that I've paid for your sin, you can't see that by reading it in the pages on, the, on my book, you should be able to see it in my church. Let's be the embodiment of grace and truth. Not that we're going to get it right all the time, not that we're going to be perfect at it, but we can strive to be more and more like Jesus in this. There will always be tension between grace and truth. Let's be people who refuse to let go of either side. Let me pray for you really quickly. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your truth, and we thank you, God, that um, you are the full embodiment of both. Jesus, you, you brought grace and, truth, grace and truth when you were born into this world, and I thank you for that. Teach us how to navigate the tension with that. Teach us how to embrace the tension. Teach us how to be okay with, be comfortable with the messiness, the inconsistency, the unfairness, the confusion. We want to be more like you, God. We thank you. We give you praise. We love you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Really quickly, um, a few next steps before we go to the pool for baptisms, a few next steps. Um, and these are, these are just things that we can tangibly do to take the message and apply them to our lives. Uh, this week, I will memorize John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Remember, let's embrace that tension. This week, I will pray and ask God to help me embrace the tension between grace and truth. And this week, I will pick one person to pray for every single day. That can be somebody inside the church. That can be somebody outside the church. But I want to challenge you. Pick one person in your life, just one, and take a minute. Take two minutes to pray for them every day this week. So um, right now, we can uh, stand up and we can make our way to the pool. And we are going to do baptisms, and then we can be dismissed from there. So I'll see you in just a few minutes.